Hello, welcome to the YouTube podcast, number episode number eighty six, where we talk all things YouTube, album news, tour dates, and uh, songs at the end of albums. That's the topic for today. I'm joined by Matt. Matt, welcome back to the show. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm I'm well. <laughs> I'm frustrated, but I'm well. Uh, we'll cover that maybe. Uh, Marilyn, welcome back as well. Hi, everybody. And Eric for having me hope you're all well 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 is a relative term <laughs> and uh i'm just gonna fade this out we got uh i've got two of myself in my headphones and so if i appear a little bit frustrated or start smashing my microphone it's not you it's me or something with my computer but i digress this uh, episode we're uh, we're gonna be talking about the last songs of u2's discography and uh is eric's a uh, great uh, topic suggestion, and by judging by the feedback from listeners, uh, followers on Twitter, etc., uh, lots of folks have lots of great opinions on the last songs of the album. So we'll get to that oh, in gosh. a minute. Um, but uh, just in terms of some YouTube news briefs and quick updates on oh. YouTube news, uh, they uh, for <laughs> for the folks wondering why YouTube released thirty thousand remixes of "Love Is Bigger." It did hit number one on the Billboard <laughs> Dance Club song charts, so I guess that's, I guess, good <laughs> for for those of us, those of you who are big into the dance club scene. I don't know how if any of the four of us have been out at the club lately. I am danced. huge in the dance club scene. Yeah, well. Tri-Cities, Washington is known for its EDM. Just the whole area is just nuts about EDM, so yeah, it's, uh, it's big. How about you, Marilyn? So. Uh, my diamond-studded um, dance days are over. So <laughs> I haven't been in a club, but I was in the uh, grocery store and I heard one of the mixes. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah, that counts. <laughs> I think that counts. On anyway, the charts, right? I think that's probably the one that pushed it up to number one right there. It was. Right. I think it was. <laughs> How about you, Eric? Are you in the uh, annoyance of Love is Bigger or... Or happy um, as bigger. far as club scene goes, you know, it's hard to find babysitters at, you know, between <laughs> like the 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. hours. So not frequented by my wife and I. But uh, I don't even know. I don't know how many there are or if I've listened to all of them. I love the song. You haven't listened to all I, of them. I, 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 I don't think I've listened to all the. Re- I mean, I, I think no I added them on my Apple Music, but I'm not sure if I've heard them all, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I have a there's a. A friend who's every time they release a new album, she sends a message to me. Just and all it just says is seriously. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't, even have, don't even need the context. But now there is actually now Summer of Love remixes as well out there. So oh really? They just uh, they post about it on Instagram. Actually, they haven't actually on YouTube.com. They actually post about it. So um, and I think those got that they also tweeted about it possibly. But um, that actually sounds. I, I was kind of like I listened to the preview. I've not. I bought. I haven't bought any of the singles yet or the remixes, but. Um, it sounds pretty good too. I don't know if have you heard them, Matt? No, I'm not a remixes person, so just I like never. Just, just like almost never. I really dislike remixes. So yeah. Even if it was a like Gangs of Youth remix, would you? <laughs> probably, probably even if. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. There's like four Summer of Love remixes on this little EP I see on Apple Music. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I mean, I'm just happy it's something different than. Love is bigger, I guess, at this point. <laughs> I had to laugh. I, I put it in the show notes uh, a screenshot because somebody in the comments on that Instagram post said, 
uh, commented to you two on Instagram saying your album keeps downloading on my phone. F you guys. <laughs> so there's still people either for comedic Four. effect or real are uh, still having struggles with songs of innocence infecting <laughs> four years later <laughs> really hurt it really hurt yeah that one kept deep so anyways that's uh <laughs> a bit of the youtube news um there was something else or did you take it out matt oh another like the rumored live nation 10-year deal thing that you were was that you that mentioned that that was me that mentioned that uh, there was yeah I, th- I had that in an otr i don't know two three weeks or so ago um that one of my one of my contacts that has I've been in touch with you know for I don't know ten fifteen years or so kind of gave us this tip about a new ten uh, year deal with Live Nation and so just tried to get some second confirmation of it uh, but didn't quite succeed but uh, and everybody seems to think that it makes perfect sense and why wouldn't they have a new deal and you know so it's sort of a you know, I, I guess it's still considered a rumor because nothing's been announced or confirmed, but I think it seems pretty uh, pretty safe to think that it's true. So 10 more years of, of U2 being active, which is good, and 10 more years of Live Nation handling ticketing, which is not good. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of get the ups and the downs going there. Does it guarantee, is there, I guess we don't know, it's not confirmed, so we don't know what it actually, the details of the contract would be, but the assumption is because Live Nation is involved with the touring side that you 2 will then be touring for 10 years as well. Is that sort of a safe assumption? I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, 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 current, the current contract or the most recent contract, Live Nation handles the website, the fan club, and the touring, and so presumably that would continue as is um i didn't hear anything that it, anything was changing so <clears throat> right yeah okay um over here sorry and uh we had some, just a couple of questions that came into the youtube uh, inbox using hashtag ask at youtube on twitter that we'll get to the, there's a whole bunch related to the topic that we'll discuss in the round table but uh just in terms of uh random stuff at rvh95 said how is it that the clowns managed to get two band interviews on their podcast before at youtube got one so i think they're referring to the uh u2 talking to me podcast that has had the band you talking you two to me yes talk- yeah. yeah adam scott ackerman yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you a fan, Eric? Of the I'm a big fan. Yeah, I love the show. Uh, I understand why. For some true diehard fans that don't love the comedy, it can be a little bit exhausting or annoying because sometimes they put the comedy over the the love of the band. But I mean, I love them, and I mean the answer to his question because they're famous and they have <laughs> connections, and you know I, they probably have a greater reach than than I don't know what our podcast reaches, but. Uh, it's in the hundreds. Ours is, yeah, for sure. So okay, now I'm yeah now I'm confused. I don't know why they, they haven't come to us yet. You know, exactly. Yeah, there's. I wasn't gonna say hundreds of thousands. It's just hundreds, but that's okay. We're still here. Uh, I love the show. Uh, it's a great interview. I think their first interview was better because they had some really interesting questions, but they also got a little bit more comfortable on this last interview with Bono and the Edge and it seems clear that they kind of have some mutual love those two and the band you know um, they have great contacts so 
Yeah, and it yeah. is just like them staying in character for the the podcast and having fun with that even when the band shows up. They don't sort of go into uber fanboy mode. We would. <laughs> if uh yeah. Obviously. I think that's part of it. Maybe they feel maybe the band feels they're a little bit more equal and uh I don't know exactly. I mean they're they're definitely fans, but uh Yeah, celebrity one celebrity to another or something more. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we can hold out hope that someday, hopefully within the next 10 years before their contract expires. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the Live Nation contract. They have to show up on our podcast at some point. That's right. Use those contacts, Matt. Yeah. Doing everything I can. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhat related, I guess, at Tim Jahar asked, do you, th- do you take Adam at face value that you two will be completely silent in 2019? Or do you think songs have sent or something else will get its start next year? What do you think, Matt? I take him at I take him at his word on that. I yeah. think they've been active for several years consecutive, and I think they are planning a well-deserved year off at minimum. I think we'll see them next in 2021 for the uh, Octung Baby anniversary tour. At least I've got my hopes set for that. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. Wouldn't that be great, Marilyn? That would be the best. <laughs> Especially if they revive somehow Zoo TV along with that in some modern. Yeah, oh, they got to. Got to. Are there any Trabants left that that they could like (laughs) hang from stadium walls or anything? I'd like to know the state of those leather pants myself. (laughs) 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 I can't imagine they're smelling too good these days. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) In the early 60s, yeah. by that point, yeah, how will other pants work out for them? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the At YouTube Roundtable this episode, we are going to talk, uh, like I said, Eric had a great suggestion of talking through the last song of each album. And uh, Eric, I don't know if you want to just sort of, you did a bit of a good explanation in our Slack, but just for folks listening, yeah. um, explain a bit about sort of what your thoughts were behind this and why it's worth discussing. I'll just mention in the show notes, there's a link to um, uh, Kevin STU on Twitter had created a Spotify list of just the last songs of each album. I think someone did one for Apple music as well. We'll try and find a link and put that in the show notes too. So you can find that um, just to, it's kind of a neat way to listen through the album or the songs, I guess. But uh, yeah, Eric, what, what was sort of the idea behind this? You know, technically, I don't think it was my idea. Oh. Um, I, th- I, I think somebody threw it out right at the end, like over a year ago of the, the album analyses that, that we did. And somebody threw it out. And so when I, you asked for ideas a few months ago, I think I was like, that was when I liked the idea. Because for me, so you two, you know, and the Joshua Tree was my first album. Like my first true album. I was like 11 or 12. And... And that's, you know, that's an amazing album. And <laughs> Matt's hold it. <laughs> so, yeah, so some, old. <laughs> some fans somewhere. Uh, uh, that's so cute. But, that's your first album. Oh, so yeah. cute. Uh, yes, thank you. I need Mason here. To, yeah. So I'm At not least Mason's youngest. not on, yeah. right? He's like 10 years younger than me. Um, yeah. But uh, so that was my introduction to the concept of an album which, you know, that's a killer first introduction to what an album really is. And for me, you know, I'm pretty traditional in the sense that I love albums, you know, a focused, crafted piece of art that has kind of a, you know, carry through themes 
you know, the the song to song, you know, nature of it. It's not just a collection of songs, you know, pop songs. It, it you know has and you know true rock fans love you know they love that that idea so that's that's that was my introduction and one reason i think why i love you too and love their albums as albums is that they carry it they do really do carry it through the entire collection of songs that they have um and one thing i noted early on was that they always finish strong with great songs um and so for me some of my favorite songs from you two are the the album enders. So I feel like that final song is a great way, and they do a really good job of encapsulating the essence of an album. You know, most U 2s albums are kind of front ended with some of their hits, especially you know like Joshua Tree, um, and then by the side two uh, of the album, they kind of are exploring the deeper concepts. Um, you know, it tends to be a little bit more. Not quieter, but you know, not necessarily as hard hitting as the earlier part of, of an album. And I find that their last songs are always excellent, strong songs. They're strong in emotional impact. They're a little bit more subdued, a little bit quieter, um, even reverent maybe in some of them. Um, but it depends. Each album is a little different in how it how it reveals something about the band. Um, many of the the album ender songs are a great sort of finish to a narrative. Um, and you can see that in how I, I was kind of examining these songs. And in, in, if you include Yahweh with U2 3D as finishing on the credits, then, I, then, I, then you could say that in every decade, at least, there's been a tour or a presentation by the band where the album ender was a song that they put at the end of their tour because that's how important like they felt about the concept of what they were presenting on their album. So you've got 40 for war, you've got love is blindness for octing baby, uh, Yahweh. You've got thirteen now this tour, and so I uh, for me um, those songs just really showcase how seriously U two takes their music and their albums, and and uh, it, it kind of reveals a little bit about their emotional state. It's kind of that second side of their albums is often kind of a flip side, the other side of a coin of of the concepts that they're exploring. Um, and so that's, I mean, I just, I, and a lot of albums, not U2 albums, I just, you know, I, I love, they, for me to love an album, it probably has to have a great album ender and close really strong. So that that was what I thought was exciting because these are some of my favorite songs from U2 and I think they do a great job of it. Nice, that's a good, yeah, I hadn't actually noticed that or picked it up on like the, obviously the having the last song from an album as the last song on the tour um, from each decade is kind of a neat little tag into this sort of conversation and kind of lead, I guess going into the, we'll sort of go album by album and, and we have some uh, feedback and comments from folks who, from listeners and, and stuff on Twitter that sent in some thoughts and sorry if I missed anybody because there was quite a, a, quite a bunch of you had some stronger yes. <laughs> opinions on a variety <laughs> of the songs. And so um, what I, I kind of organized them with, we'll, we'll go through song by or album by album in uh, chronological order. But if, you know, somebody mentioned a song, I'll just sort of include their first song because lots of people sort of picked up on it and had like first, second, third or whatever. And so obviously <laughs> we can't include everybody's comments. No everywhere. way. But uh, you two fans didn't have opinions, did they? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. No. I know. I'm, I was as surprised as you are. I think. 
<laughs> but anyways, going back to Boy from way back in 1980, Shadows and Tall Trees. And actually, I'll, I'll just say as well, thanks to Ross, uh, Ross Perry uh, on the tour side of uh, At U2, he quickly today pulled out uh, stats on how often last time and how often each of these songs was played live as well. So as of this recording, anyways, uh, we've got uh, Shadow and, Shadows and Tall Trees has been played live. It was played, as far as we know, 12 times, last played in uh, July 27th, 1980, and was not released as a single. <laughs> so, um, and that Michelle Watson said, uh, favorite is probably Shadows and Tall Trees, followed closely by I Love is Blindness. The worst by far is Grace. It's a lovely sentiment, but the lyrics are so clunky and the melody is so blah. <laughs> Hashtag sorry, not sorry. So, any thoughts on uh, Shadows and Tall Trees? As a okay, as an album ender, and then I guess thematically and just a song. We're not so much debating the song's quality, I guess, but more as like its worthiness as a good album ender. Is that fair enough to say, Eric? Yeah, I think. What did I? I I'm going back to the notes I wrote. The things to the kind of one different ways to look at them are the like you said, the merit of its song itself, what it reflects about the idea of an album ender, but also how it fits into the story feel of the album. For Shadows and Tall Trees, I think um, I think it's a great song to showcase that even at this early stage, kind of how mature the band is. You know, it definitely is a toned down song, as many of theirs are. The lyrics, kind of the structure of the song is really unique. Um, so I feel like, you know, this, this album that's all about youth and kind of growing in your youth. I mean, already there's a lot of maturity in the album in that kind of self-reflection, you know, for, for 18-year-olds writing it but i think shadows and tall trees um is really great just because it's such an interesting song in its structure and its lyrics you guys know i suck at lyrics isn't shadows and tall trees is is that the one (laughs) here's where you take away my youtube fan card that's the one it's it's references uh that book right what's the book that it references or am i confusing it with a different one oh shoot i don't know okay see here we go. I'm you're just not, derailing. You're not the only yeah. one that doesn't get the card. My, you can take my card away, yeah. too. I thought it referenced like with that Lord album. of the Flies or something, maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. I, You know, Shadows and Tall Trees is... It's funny. When we were, like, earlier this afternoon, I started... I figured, okay, I better, like, have, like, a ranking of my... <laughs> of all the album enders. And so, like, I first divided them into love and hate and i thought you know love and hate is too strong so then i went from two i had three categories and so then i decided that three wasn't enough so then i ended up with four different categories and shadows and tall trees is down in tier three and, ta- and tier four for me it to me it's just not as strong as the rest of the album so i know that kind of i kind of disagree with eric on here but um i mean it's it's not i don't think it's a bad song it's just there's so many to me there's so many more songs on that album that are <laughs> more engaging and interesting and I don't know, enjoyable, I guess. So it, it's that one uh, for, just doesn't do as much for me as some of the other album enders. I agree with you, Matt. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think that song is very strong in any sense of the word. So, um, but I don't really think that out. Uh, I'm going to lose my cred here because I'm not crazy about the first two albums. So um, it's very hard for me to even listen to those. Uh, 
albums all the way through to the end. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to disagree with you also, Eric. I'm, I'm with you on, I mean, October is the album for me hardest to get all the way through, but I think the, some of the characteristics I love in an album and or song are, uh, well, I, I know noticed with you too is a lot of them are you get some more interesting bass lines, some more interesting drumming, um, and there's also they're just kind of longer and they kind of sit in their sound a little bit longer. I mean, you've got like all I want is you, where you've got that long coda with with um, with strings, and I feel like this one's kind of like that. You kind of sit in this sound that kind of slowly goes out, and I I just like that aesthetic of it. All right, moving on to October, <laughs> is that all? which is kind of a funny title. Uh, and according to Ross, our database uh, it's never really been played live. Guitar riff is taken from the cry. And uh, yeah, any, uh, let's just go around, I guess, again, sort of, we can start, um, where did I start? Matt last time? Let's go Matt and then around the horn again. Yeah, I just, I, I, it's funny because I, when I was putting the list together this afternoon, I was like, what does that song even sound like? I couldn't even, I could not even, yeah picture it in my head um and it just i don't know and and so i ended up i listened to that uh playlist that was it uh kevin put together for us which was fantastic and thank you for that and uh, so obviously heard it there um and i don't know i just i guess i just kind of feel like it that song since it kind of does borrow from previous material it just kind of is very emblematic of how that whole album was sort of had to be thrown together because of the lost lyrics and the rush they were in and all that sort of stuff so i just i think that's you know that whole album and this last song is just very very much a a snapshot of the situation they were in well i think it was um the title of the song um is is that all do you really want to be asking that question at the end of your album right you know like really (laughs) is this the best you can do and then you know what's coming next when nobody knows this is it this is all we have so, um, yeah, I, I, and I agree with Matt again. I, I, I had to go back and listen to that because it's been uh, a long time since I've made it through that entire album. <laughs> so I had to go back and listen. And it's it, it still, I, I couldn't conjure it for you, even though I just heard it an hour ago. I still couldn't conjure that song yeah. for you. Yeah. So um, that ranks probably at the bottom of my list. Is that all? Okay. Eric, how about you? Yeah, this one's at the bottom of my list, too. And as far as how I view their album enders overall, this is one that I feel like is an anomaly as far as being a great album ender. I, I wonder about that title. Like, was it a joke? Did they do that on <laughs> yeah, purpose? Right? You know, like, like uh, you know, this being their sophomore album, kind of learning a lot, deciding what they wanted to do with their albums. This whole album, I think there's a lot about it that, for me, it's always been kind of their weakest album. Um and so, and like the, at the very end, like there's whistling, you know, there's sounds from the, so I feel like they just didn't take it quite as seriously. So I've, I was thinking as I was listening to it, Scarlet would have been a better album ender or maybe even October. Like that would fit at least for me, the mold of what the other ones are like. Those are songs that stand out. A lot of the other songs on this album, which I, I, I do enjoy now more than, than I used to, uh, you know, they have a very similar sound. The guitars are, are, are kind of similar so songs like Scarlet and October stick out to me because they are kind of that more toned down. They've got piano, different things. So this one's the anomaly for me. Definitely at the bottom of the list. 
And a bit of uh, chat room follow-up. Shadows and Tall Trees is a chapter name in The Lord of the Flies. Matt was right. Thanks to Sula for the live <laughs> feedback updates. That's <laughs> why we have a chat room, even if the video is barfing on us all. Just not a good night. There's always a bigger U2 nerd somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially on our staff. <laughs> <laughs> you're still muted, Matt. So whatever you're saying is, I'm sure, hilarious, but we can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Was my mic off? <laughs> <laughs> you're being very animated. Yeah. I was being. It looked good. I was you were miming that. your response. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying thank you to Sula. And then I was saying that. Eric's comment right there should be a suggested podcast title where he said there's there's always a bigger nerd YouTube nerd somewhere. <laughs> so if you're playing along at home in the chat room, you can type uh, command or exclamation point S and then a title, and that'll get automatically cataloged as a suggested title for this episode, and you'll get much fame and infamy if your suggested title is voted at the end of the show. To Every the podcast is a mini game show. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so the big one from '83 is is on the album War is the song Forty, which not surprisingly has been played live and known times is 405 according to our database. Last time in back in 2016, and uh, for whatever reason they have the longest performance also was tracked at 15 minutes in January of 1985. So a bunch of folks, obviously, no surprise, picked uh, this at not-so-random. P1 said 40, then all I want is you, love is blindness, mothers have disappeared as a tie. At Dana Star 78 says her top album ender was war. Perfect end to an album or a show. Uh, at Leslie 617, top three, honestly, it's like making someone pick a favorite kid, is 40, love is blindness, shadows and tall trees. Uh, least favorite was Yahweh. At E. Mullen, U2. So I think that's Larry Mullen masquerading on Twitter. That must be, yeah. Yeah. His, yeah, his top three him. is 40, definitely. followed by Love is Blindness, <laughs> and is that all? And uh, at Rob underscore Lengang said 40 as well. Uh, transformed, translated into the most interactive concert ender in most cities. At Hermie Herm, said 40 remains my most impactful album ender. That song to me represents the essence of the band, political, hopeful, melodic, and spiritual. At J.K. Claus says 40, then all I want is you, then 13. And at Poet, H-L-Y-N-8. I'm try- I was trying to figure out some sort of longer version of that. Anyways, they could finish every album with 40 and it would still be perfect. So um, <laughs> no surprise that 40 is A lot is of love for popular. 40. Yeah. 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 And it's like if they had played, is that all consistently, whatever it was, six or 405 times over the last 30 years? There probably would be more fans of Is That All? <laughs> or there might be just less fans of YouTube, <laughs> <Right>. period. <laughs> right. Yeah. It could have go gone either way. could have gone the other way. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll just keep, yeah, we'll just go the same order around here. Matt, you, where is 40 rank for you? No, it's Marilyn's turn. Oh, oh my turn. Yay. Um, yeah. So the reason I like this um, song as an album ender. Uh, not just because of the live show and the way they ended their live shows with this song, um, which is phenomenal because it's a, a sing-along. The whole audience gets involved, and even as they're leaving, the lights come up, everybody's singing, and you know, you get on the train, and they're still singing it. I mean, it just can go on and on and on. Um, and people can carry that feeling out of the show with them as they leave. Um, but on the album, 
the two things I like about it are, um, I, when I was looking at this list, um, I started to realize that um, a lot of these uh, album ender songs um, can be um, categorized as like a lullaby. I think this is the first of them. Um, MLK is also, I think, a, a lullaby type song that they end with. Um, a lot of these songs have religious um, connotations to them. Um, and I, I do realize that a lot of their songs have that, but it seems like a lot of these ending songs have some sort of, even if it's Wake Up Dead Man, where it's a questioning song, there's definitely this theme of uh, looking yep. No, I, I, t I totally agree. I think your analysis is right. I said I was thinking the same thing about the lullaby. Yahweh is kind of a lullaby. Certainly 13 is. Um, and agree with like the religious aspect. I kind of feel like the album enders for you too are often like the essence, kind of what's what where their where their heart really lies. You know, like this album, you know, you start with Sunday Bloody Sunday, kick off with a bang, you know, this this protest song. Um but the reason why they're protesting is because of something, you know, some deeply core held belief that they feel strongly about. And so by the end of the album is often where they're presenting that in sort of like its purest form. And that's exactly what 40 is for me. And I mean, you know, I think there's that classic idea, you know, like you two has to end their career playing like a 30 minute version of this song. You know, <laughs> uh, this is what everybody pictures. It's like the most beautiful, you know, closer it's, you know, it's just, it's just classic. It's, it's just quintessential U2. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's one of the best examples of all the things you were talking about, Marilyn. Yeah. And one of the other things I was saying was, um, I like to listen for hints, um, in albums, in their albums. Uh, so in the unforgettable fire, I go back to war and I listen for hints of what, might have been the start of the unforgettable fire and i think mm. that um 40 is definitely uh one of those uh hints where bono's actually singing he's not screaming um and it is definitely a reprieve of the whole album of war uh which is very um uh you know pugilistic <laughs> um mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, you do you do hear a little hint of um of the unforgettable fire in, in forty. Um which is which is nice. I'll just I'll just uh, add in, I mean I agree with everything you guys have said uh forty and I'll just just to, to when we were talking about is that all and how that seems like a throwaway song, forty if we believe the legend sort of was a throwaway song last minute, right? I mean that's the legend is that they had 40 minutes left in the studio and they threw this music together and found the Bible, the Psalm 40 verses and ended up creating one of the all time great U2 songs that, you know, fans the world over love. And as Eric <laughs> said so eloquently, we would want to hear as the very last song, a 30 minute version. Um, so, I mean, it's remarkable if that legend is true that they were able to create something that has, uh, you know, become so beloved and stood the test of time uh, as the, as 40 is. Do we know on the studio album version, did they also switch instruments? Did they play Edge and Adam as they do yes. always live? Okay. Yep, they did. 
Yeah. So it's kind of interesting in the way, you know, it became this live thing where it's it's a highlight for each member of the band, but also kind of like a stretch because they're using, you know, different instruments, the two of them especially. So And I love and I love the live version of this the song. Like everyone loves the live version of it. But if you listen closely to like live versions from the early tours, Joshua Tree War Tour, Unforgettable Fire, compared to the most recent couple tours when it was played, um, I think uh, 2000, I, well, 2015, the IE tour, it was played, uh, as I recall. Um, Adam has changed the way he does the, the guitar part, and I just, uh, there's sort of an evolution there that, you know, is way too nerdy for us to get into on this podcast because we still have <laughs> 17 albums to get through. But anyway, that's just, if you're listening to live versions of, uh, of 40 over the years, listen to how Adam does his part mm. differently. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think that's actually something I, I, I know we had a discussion a while back about songs of experience. I think it was, and just hearing some of the comments that Adam made, I think it's something that happens more often than we realize that edge goes and grabs the bass and maybe noodles a little bass line that Adam then either riffs off of, or just edge records it as a demo. And then that, that ends up being what Adam plays a bit just cause I, yeah, just musician wise at edge seems like the kind of guy who would have a few th- opinions about things. <laughs> And Adam's always kind of guy, around. Yeah, who has a, a few less opinions about things and wouldn't be bothered either way as long as he got his tea in his robe. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, that's a whole other discussion as well. Uh, just so you're aware, we're not we're we're not forgetting about things like Under a Blood Red Sky, but we are just sticking to the primary. We, we someone made a call. I think Eric got final ruling on what we were going <laughs> to include as official albums or not. So. Um, we'll be here eight. all night if we yeah. go through every every recording <laughs> yeah. they've ever done. So uh, 84 is The Unforgettable Fire had MLK, which is, has been played live, of course, around 315 times. Last played was in May of 2017. So uh, let's start this time with Eric. You can go, go first. Yeah, so I don't know about the rest of you that have kids, but I imagine this is the lullaby for any U2 fan that they sing to their kids when they're trying to put them yes, to sleep. Indeed. Yeah, so this one is in my house. It's more yeah. Than prayer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's definitely a prayer. Go to sleep. Um, <laughs> Called uh, Jackson's version, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great song. It's uh, a great ending to that album, which is itself more a little bit more, you know, uh, reserved. Definitely more ascetic songs rather than you know purely form songs, as we know about under or. Uh, yeah, about that album. So, um, Unforgettable Fire. So, it's it's just a perfect end, end to it. And it's been nice as they've, you know, weaved it in here and there in different tours. I, I remembered watching a show or a, like a documentary in college in, um, some, uh, I can't remember what class it was, sociology class. And I saw Joan Baez uh, sings the song. It was live. I think it might have been at MLK's funeral. She might have sung it. Um, so I, I meant to go and find it. I couldn't listen to it, but um, obviously reflection of Bono's love of MLK and, and uh, his holding him up as a hero. So this one is is also quintessential and is a, a, a great example of that lullaby thing that Marilyn was talking about. Love it. Yeah, I don't have I, I don't have a ton to add to what what Eric said. It's I remember when I had got this album uh, way back in the day, and just I really really. Uh, love the way they ended it with something so quiet and pensive and yeah it just uh, yeah it's a good one <clears throat> I'll leave it at that <laughs> um, yeah I just 
that whole album has an ethereal feel for me. And uh, that particular song is like hearing the fog roll in, you know, it's just, it just sneaks up on you. It's just very quiet. And it's, you're right, Eric, it's just a perfect end to that album. Yeah. Yeah. And for all the, on the musician side to have um, basically just, don't quote me on this, but just like a string bed or, or synth bed, whatever it might've been exactly. Um, and basically the band, not really in there at all. Um, it, it is kind of like just a, a nice way to end that album that yeah. was, is full of obviously lots of signature edge kind of sounds and songs, but, um, all right, keep it moving. 87. Uh, then we jump to 87 Joshua tree, a little album called Joshua Tree and Mothers of the Disappeared, uh, which also has been played live a few times. And uh, obviously on the Joshua Tree tour was played a lot and about 67 times been played last uh, October 2017. Uh, we had uh, a few more comments on this one too. At Kevin STU said it was definitely in his top three. And uh, Tom in Texas, seven, his favorite album members are Mothers of the Disappeared, 40, and All I Want Is You. And Dana Fontaine, 86, Mothers of Disappeared, 40, loves, I think she almost picked half of them, so I don't know. <laughs> Can't really be your favorite if you're picking six or seven of them. Don't make me pick just one. <laughs> it's like picking your children. Yeah, right. I understand. Yeah. I understand. <clears throat> but at some point, one of your kids is your favorite. You just have to admit. <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> don't ruin it for us, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start. Uh, Matt, uh, Mother's Disappeared, thoughts, commentary? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if I got it, I'm going to be, I'm, you're probably going to all hate me. This has never been a favorite for me. I, uh, it, I have I never you. been able to get into this song. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, I mean, the, 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 the lyrics and the idea of the song, I like it's that, it's just the, 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 the droning sound of the music that I guess um, I've never been able to get into. That said, one of the sure ways to bring me to tears is to get me to watch Mothers of the Disappeared from the Pop Mart tour when they were in South America and brought the moms up on stage and performed the song that... So yeah, yeah sure. that 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 does it for me right there. That one. Well, and yeah. Bono's little kind of discant or whatever the cant at the end, you know, like the whoa, like it's it's, it's really nice. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Although I I do have to take a little bit of issue, Matt, with saying that the droning of the song <laughs> when you're talking about U two that is like half the songs are edge droning <laughs> in some form yeah. or another. Yeah, uh, no, you're right, but. Yeah, I guess that's for the Gangs of Youth podcast discussion. <laughs> Marilyn, how about you? Where do you stand on Mothers of the Dispute? Well, I don't love the song, but uh, the other uh, type of song I notice they use are these story songs for their ending songs. So like this one and All I Want Is You and um, um, Cedars of Lebanon – Fitting in with that theme of having the lullabies or the religious theme and then these story songs. I think this is the first of their story songs that they use as a song ender. And uh, I'm not crazy about it. Just I'm, glad I'm, I'm glad I'm not. I thought I was really going to get it when, I, when we got to this song. Thank you so much, Marilyn. 
Yeah, you're welcome, Matt. <laughs> Eric, which which side of the fence are you that. on? The Matt side or the, the Chris side? Well, I told Matt you before, Joshua Tree, my first album, right. and yeah. you know, so I think it's a great strong closer um, for so many reasons. I love, I mean, I love the way it comes in slowly with this almost like it's almost like rain, sort of this feel. Um, I I love all the different musical parts of it. I, I noticed uh, that like the, although it's a synth drum, it's basically the exact same part as, um, well, shoot, what's the song right before? <laughs> no, not that the um, one tree hill. It's like the same drum part as one tree hill, but like a more kind of calmer version of it. Um, so I kind of like how it ties into that aspect of like in our, an earlier part of the album, uh, you know, theoretic or thematically, I think it's a great, uh, kind of bringing that essence of that that idea of this album as the two Americas, um, kind of bringing them together where it's got that heart and soul to it, but it's kind of a, a quiet protest song focusing on the hurt and hope of these mothers and this experience that, you know, it's decrying government uh, corruption, um, but from a place of, you know, kind of an emotional appeal. Um, I mean, I just think it's beautiful. I love it. I love the bass part. Um, that kind of brings it in and kind of keeps it going throughout the thing. Um, so for me, this was, you know, this is my introduction to U2 and their, their album lenders. So I think it's, it's a beautiful song. I love it. I do love that pop version so much. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel, but you know, no hard feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in the, uh, firmly in the camp of loving the song and, uh, not, and primarily actually because of that pop Murray version, I think that was like the, the, a version that I sort of heard somehow some bootleg or something um even when i didn't recognize or realize the song itself on the album so i guess in in terms of our con- the context of our discussion maybe i guess i have to say i wasn't a big fan of the song when i heard it as the last song on the album originally but then the live version kind of won won me over so um and it is like when i pick up a guitar it's one of the first little riffs that i'll often to just to annoy Matt, I'll drone with on a guitar. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Uh, 88 uh, Rattle and Hum Ender is All I Want Is You, which of course has been played live only 201 times according to our database, mm-hmm. uh, which I would have thought it feels like it's been more, maybe, but um, last played in November 2017 and was one, uh, also a single. From Rattling Home. So at The Real Messing said, favorite is All I Want Is You, least favorite is Cedars of Lebanon. Uh, at Daniel Dacun69 said, best is All I Want Is You and Mothers of the Disappeared. At CHBYRD75, after hearing it on Joshua Tree 2017, I have a much greater appreciation for Mothers of the Disappeared, but All I Want Is You is still my favorite. And at Sir Edward Gray said, All I Want Is You is the standout above all others. It's pretty special. What other bands have closures that charted as singles? It was a memorable song for his wedding too, and that recent Abbey Road version with "Walk to the Water" was a mic drop. So, Marilyn, we'll start with you this time. What's any thoughts on "All I Want Is You"? Well, I mean, I need a moment when I think about this song because <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a beautiful song. Um, you know, who doesn't want somebody to sing this song to them, right? So. Um, I just, I, I love the song no matter where it would be on the album. I just love the song. So I can't really say that. Uh, it's probably going to be like in my top three of album, album enders. And I love the way the song just plays over the credits of the movie. I know we're not talking about the movie, but <laughs> I 
I love the way the song just plays over the credits and it gives you a reason to sit there and just listen. And, um, you know, that long drawn out ending with the strings and everything. I, I love every part of this song. So it's probably in my top three. Yeah, it's uh I'll I'll just say that it's it's one of my top my favorite U2 songs, so it's hard not to yeah. like separate it from that, but even just as an album ender, it's just it's a beautiful way to end that that album. Um and I love the way it's like the live version anyways has morphed over the years and they've sort of made it beyond just the the simple sort of chord progression that it has. They've taken it in interesting places and directions thematically and emotionally and um, incorporating it in interesting ways beyond just like a, a little acoustic uh, love song kind of thing. So how about you, Eric? Anything with? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I love it. I think it's, it's you know, you mentioning the movie, uh, Marilyn. I mean, that's just another one where it's they chose that to end this presentation from the band. I think it's a great, it's a great album ender, but just because of the nature of the song, I, I mean, it's really interesting because it has this really energetic, you know, crescendo that it builds to with Edge's guitar, you know, the kind of repetitive uh, portion, but then it gives you like four minutes or whatever to kind of slow down from that. Um, so I, I, I think it's a great ender to this album that is, uh, this album, you know, has a lot of different things. A lot of people weren't had, didn't love the movie, didn't love the album when it came out. Um, but even people who feel that way about the movie or felt turned off by the you know the attitude of the band, like this is just a, a great song. This is one of the ones that's just a great song, and that's why they play live so often. Yeah, I mean, I it's unanimous on this one. I think we all. I think it's not like not just one of the great album ender songs. I think it's like one of their most underrated songs. Like. I think if you ask a lot of U2 fans, name me your top five or 10 U2 songs, this probably wouldn't make a lot of people's lists, but maybe it should because it's really, really a freaking great song. And yeah, I just, I, it's, it's gentle and delicate and I love when U2 uses strings. So yeah, I love everything about it too. I'm with you guys. All right. So we're, on, we're back on, back in unity, I guess. So I'm trying to say. <laughs> In back up to 1991's uh, Love is Blindness, which on Acting Baby has been played live about 155 times, last in uh, 2006. And uh, at Zahara Desert said Love is Blindness every time for her. And uh, let's see, who's Eric? Should we start with you? Let's go with, start with you this time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what a great, uh, dark U2 song. You know, the story, it's, it's about Edge and his divorce. Um, as far as an album ender and that concept of, uh, you know, kind of finishing this narrative of the story that they're telling, I mean, for Octune Baby, obviously they used it on the tour every night. Um, and I'm, I feel like if they could have included um, Can't Help Falling in Love on the album that they probably would have because it's this idea, you know, they've been through this, you know, this pop sort of craze throughout this album Um but in the end, it's sort of like the curtain comes down. This is kind of like all of this, you know, show and fancy that we showed, like, you know, like there's this dark sort of underbelly to all of this. And yet, you know, with that, I can't help falling in love. They still love love. And, and it's just a, it's, it's a great dark song. I love turning to it. I love the version from, uh, 
the the documentary about Octoon Baby where you just mm. get the solo from Edge like so so bare and and beautiful. Um, so I feel like it's it's a great example of them using that album ender to really tell the story of what this album is all about. Ditto stamp. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, yeah. that's that's what Eric's. You know, when we started the podcast, Eric was talking about how the ender so, very often sums up the whole uh, the whole theme, and I think that's ex- this is I agree the best example of that that phrase and the song "Love Is Blindness" just sort of permeates this whole album. So, love it. Yeah, I agree. Um, the thing I like about this song is there it doesn't give you any resolution to those dark feelings. So, you know, you feel like you've just stepped out of a burning building and you're alive, but you're definitely not okay. (laughs) You're definitely not okay. Um, And uh, that feeling just lingers, that sort of sinister, um, dark darkness that Eric was talking about. It just lingers uh, in that song, um, right until the last, you know, last notes of that, that whole album. I, that, I love that. I love that there's not a, a happy little ending to all the darkness on that album. So, yeah. Another thing about a lot of these album ender songs is, you know, it's not, they're not trying to be a hit with it. And so they can take more time to sit in that sound and play around with it. And so you get this really long, really great guitar solo from edge and there's several of these songs that i feel like have great guitar parts and like you just want it to keep going like i, I love that about yeah. this song yeah yeah i can't help but picture the um yeah the zoo tv like you referenced eric the zoo tv ending like uh makeup drip dripping down his face sweat you know down bono's face but singing this song out to the crowd and but then also the like the album version has such a powerful like the dark theme to it, but even just like Adam's driving bass and just like everything about it kind of like is pushing you to like either I don't know <laughs> jump off the cliff, grab another drink, do something, but like you're it's just kind of this pulsating end to this album with an, an intensity that is like in stark contrast, I think, to all I want is you, obviously, um, and just is like a thematically musically is a great example of or um of where they the band came from to where they were in in 91 and some of the frustrations of life and recording and and obviously marriage and life love life so it's a great outlet song you know like if you're feeling something and you want to let it out you know you're feeling darkness or depression or you're angry or something it's a great way to sort of like let it out and i feel like that's what the mm-hmm. band is doing like you know these albums this middle, you know, this mid nineties, that's a lot of what they're doing is getting out these skepticisms and, 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 but, but again, going to the tour with the can't help falling in love, they still have that, you know, emotional hope that's at the key of everything, but they're kind of letting themselves let it all out. Yeah. Let out all that negativity. Yeah. So in 93 Europa, uh, the wanderer, which as far as we've known played live, sort of, it was performance recorded a soundcheck for a Johnny cash TV special back in 2005. And, uh, I don't know that they ever could have really pulled it off too well <laughs> live exactly, but it would have been fun to see them try and work it in somewhere. But at Maddie Reed Baker said, as a Europa fan, I choose the wanderer. It's an experiment that shouldn't work and doesn't seem to at first, but by the end you want to ride off into the apocalyptic sunset with Johnny and the boys, a perfectly surreal cap sewn on their weirdest, most mysterious album. 
at Lance Hart said best album ending song as Tim Newfield will attest the spiritually focused songs are best but the Wanderers tops for me because it's a full biblical story and a personal mantra to taste and touch and feel as much as a man can before he repents and at uh, MuckDog18, I think The Wanderer is a good closer and a great foreshadowing, whether intentional or not, to songs of experience. So um, hmm. it is an interesting one. I mean, having a guest artist singing the whole song and basically Bono just providing his uh, what, the fat lady voice <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, voice over top um, is an interesting thing for album or for you two to do on an album. Um, they've had guest artists obviously but never like a featured vocal all the way through and not even have you two on there um, so I'm trying to I don't know I'm trying to remember how I felt when it when I heard it and realized I, I probably read the album notes or maybe it was leaked beforehand I can't remember but you know hearing Johnny Cash come through um, which back in 93 was I think before any of his like sort of re- revival with um, yep. right. what's his name they basically jump started it this was uh, I mean if you yeah. If you look back on the history, I, I I can't remember the details of it now, but basically because of this, they jump started his revival. Yeah, the Rick, connections and things that happened from this. I don't want to say Rick Nash. It's not Rick Nash. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Yes, thank. You. Yeah. Yeah, getting to work with him and stuff, and pulling him out of wherever he was at the time. So, Matt, you're looking like you're ready to jump in with some thoughts. Well, I was going to ask you because this is right. Or you got into you two, right, with Octung Baby and Zeropa. So I would love to hear more of what you thought of this song the first time you heard it because it was, I know when I heard it the first time, I thought it was one of the strangest things I'd ever heard. <laughs> but for that reason, because it was Johnny Cash, you mean like on a YouTube album or what? not just that, but just the music, sort of that, you know, that bass and the dum 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 dum, right? Yeah. Just Sounds that. like a Dalton Brothers song, right? Right. Yeah. It just, it was, it's, it's, I just, yeah, I would love to know, like for someone who was just getting into the band, then, and the, then it goes off in this good, this strange direction at the end of the album. I think for me at the time, like, like I was a zoo TV and then backwards to act tongue fan. So zoo rope, I think I remember buying it with a friend, but I was already sort of had heard the, yeah, I don't know what, remember what order exactly, but I was also a Johnny Cash fan. Country sort of it was he's one of my dad's favorite artists, and so I was aware of him that way. And so it was kind of cool to know that he was on a U two album. This band that I was getting into, it wasn't like who's this weird old guy for me. It was kind of like who's this? <laughs> what? It's cool that these two artists are merging in some form. But um, I like Zuropa for me as a whole was just kind of like a mind bender, anyways. And so it didn't feel that out of place, I guess for what I knew of the band at the time. So, um, but yeah, how about you, Marilyn? Any? Yeah, it was pretty jarring to hear, uh, Johnny cash on a U2 album. You know, that's the last thing I was expecting. Uh, (laughs) but that whole album is pretty freaky anyway. So why not throw Johnny cash on there? Um, (laughs) Hey, I mean, (laughs) the whole album is like that. So, uh, as an album ender, it, it really, it doesn't, it doesn't really fit the rest of the album. And, you know, that's, that's okay. That's, uh, they were up late, I guess. And <laughs> they were just throwing whatever they wanted on that album. So, um, I really, I, I appreciate the song for what it did for Johnny Cash and getting him back in the spotlight, um, for being the great artist that he is. And uh, 
so that a younger generation like you, Chris, <laughs> and Eric uh, could could know who he was and not just uh, hear him on oldie stations or old, uh, you know, country stations. Um, so, and, you know, again, it fits that story the religious yeah. uh, album ending thing and the story, the story song. Um, so, uh, and Bono howls like a uh, wolf in that one. So I like that too. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like the wanderer. I don't know for the first 10, I don't for years. Like I, I, I could not get into the song, but then something started to change. I don't know what it was uh, or when it was, but it's now, like one of my favorites, I think the lyrics are very emblematic of Bono's journey and maybe the band's journey um, and their sort of the faith journey and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I, but the one thing I, that I want to mention is, you know, that one live performance that they did for that TV show. I, it's one of my favorite live performances they've ever done. It's, yeah. um, it's very uh, Edge sings. It's like a '50s song. It's very like Beach Boys yeah, sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I don't remember yeah. where. Yeah, I don't remember where. I, if it was in YouTube by U2 or some other article or whatever. But apparently, the original U2 recorded version of The Wanderer sounded like that. And it wasn't until mm. Johnny Cash came in that they that they. Mm had the version that ended up on the album. So I would love to hear the original studio version oh, yeah. that has that whole fifties edge doing the background kind of thing. Cause I love that live version uh, they did for the Johnny cash show. Interesting. Yeah, I find that again. I love this album so much. Uh, I mean, it was one of the last albums that, you know, for somebody in the late nineties who was discovering you too, and was trying to like, you know, go back through, this is one of the last albums that I listened to of theirs. Um, I definitely want to plug Ian's uh, recent retrospective article on Zeropa. Yeah. Um, mm. It's really great. I know he loves that album, and I, I, I really, I feel like it is a great ender for this album because of the the ideas that are put forth. This kind of post apocalyptic, apocalyptic. Where is meaning? Um, you know that 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 whole idea. I feel like it, it does a great job. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I told you guys from the start, like, I love most of these songs. I love them. And this is one, I, I mean, it, I thought it was great that they did that sort of that, that video with it as during the break, during the IE tour, um, before they ended up moving on to other songs. Uh, I, I love that they highlighted that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is unique. It's a surprise in so many ways for the band. Um, and for that, I love it. Actually, realizing that it feels like we're getting close to the end of U2's discography because it's like, like I'm saying, like I sort of think of this era as like new U2. <laughs> we're we're halfway through the podcast, yeah. guys. We got to go a little faster. It's, all, it's almost yeah, can... one a.m. for Maryland. <laughs> yeah, I have to work tomorrow, you guys. Let's go. Oh yeah, well in '97, <laughs> Pops Wake Up Dead Man, which uh, never really played live, snippeted, but never played it full, as far as we've tracked, snippeted a bunch of times. Last October twenty or two thousand one. So uh, at Buzz One Daddy said. Um, this was a song he didn't like. So Wake Up Dead Man, there's something about the bitter tone of that song that bugs me after all the other songs on pop. That one is just a bummer, leaving you feeling empty. I guess I like to think the world is a better place than as described in <laughs> Wake Up Dead Man. So 
I remember if you did asked, he not listen to the whole album? I mean, <laughs> that's the whole album. He just described the entire album. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking at the end, like hearing it for the first time, and thinking, "What the heck is this?" Like everything else is electronic and beats and whatever, and then there's this like sort of acousticy, distorted acoustic, uh, moaning lady in the background song at the end of this album and just it this one really stuck out like a sore thumb for me like musically um lyrically it makes a lot of sense and it sort of fits as a, a great uh theme ending for the for an album like as sort of trashy and stuff as pop is um but what uh, what do you think eric of of wake up dead man yeah, I mean, I think it's a great ending to this album. You know, it's like, again, similar to Love is Blindness, the curtain comes down. Here's what's really happening. Here's how I'm really feeling. Uh, you know, the the it, like for me, this is like Las Vegas, 5 a.m., you know, like gritty <laughs> back, you know, back alley with smoking, raspy voice, been up all night. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of like how I picture it. So I think it's a great ending to this album. And, you know, Similar to Love is Blindness, you know, they did use it on the Elevation Tour a lot, and it gets its own track on the, I think it's the uh, uh, You Two Go Home recording um, before Walk On. You know, again, they sort of like have this moment of doubt and then transition that into, you know, something very, uh, uh, what's the word, just just something very um, uh, uh I don't know, like a, a positive catharsis after this sort of negative, you know, admittance. So love it. Yeah, I'll just, I agree that it's, it's a great way to end the album and very fitting and thematic, but the song itself doesn't really do all that much for me. Um, you know, just, I guess, musically, as Chris was saying, it just, I don't know. It just, I, I don't rank it highly among album closers. I love that, uh, I mean, it kind of reminds me of I Still Haven't Found because it's another doubting, questioning song. And I love that Bono's willing to do that about his faith. But, you know, just overall, the song doesn't really grab me as much as some of the other ones do. 2000s All That You Can't Leave Behind had Grace. Unless you were in the UK, then The Ground Beneath Her Feet was the final song, uh, which has not been played live. uh, Grace, anyways, we're talking about and uh, at Rachel Shaddock said, Grace is my fave album ending of all time. My daughter is named after this beautiful song at uh, 1523 Talbot said, honestly, Grace and Shadows and Tall Trees are not my favorite ender tracks. At Fionn Duffield on the UK version, as we mentioned, The Ground Beneath Her Feet, The Wanderer from Zeropa and Cedars of Lebanon from No Line are all her favorites or his. And at Bit Broken Mike said, album closures were, are where U2 is strongest. I always seem to pull out a gem. Personally, I love The Ground Beneath Her Feet as a bonus closer on this album and at youtube.com sherry said for me this album ends with when i look at the world it feels the arc of the album has a natural stop there it's as if new york and grace are just bonus tracks which is hmm. something we that's a whole nother discussion of like should this album have ended different albums that we talked about anyways should they have ended earlier or whatever <laughs> so um but marilyn we'll start with you now any thoughts on grace and then we can sort of have an auxiliary discussion i guess about ground beneath your feet for the uk folks but um as an album ender, I think it's fine. Uh, I'm not crazy about the song itself. Uh, I think it's a little bland. I agree with Michelle. It just, um, I see what they were trying to do. I just think it, it, it was not uh, the best execution of, of that 
but it does sort of fit their pattern of having this sort of quiet introspective song at the end of the record. I would have much preferred Ground Beneath Your Fe Her Feet uh, in the U.S. version. Um, I would have loved to have that as the album ender. Um, so it's, n it's not, it doesn't rank very high on my list. Um, again, I, yeah, I mean, I, I do love it. I do think it's a great ending to the song. I like it's it's an interesting contrast. So when I I yesterday set up a playlist and I put all these songs chronologically, and at the end I might just share a minute about what how, how that was interesting for me. But it's a a great contrast to Wake Up Dead Man in in their how they changed in the tone of their albums. So it's it's a great bellwether as to what they're feeling in this album as opposed to the last one. Um, I think it's a beautiful song. Um, 2004's How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb had Yahweh and then also a bonus of Fast Cars, and uh, which was Yahweh was played live about 100 times last in 2016 by The Edge. Um, Matt, we'll start with you. Any thoughts on Yahweh as a. Uh, yeah, as a I, I mean, I know from all the Twitter replies, there's a lot of hate for this song, but I love it. It's not in my top tier, but I'd probably put it in my second tier of closers. I just, it's. Uh, I, it's one of my favorites from that album, and I really love the uh, the acoustic version that they did as well. So, yeah, I just this is, I guess I'm the outcast in uh, <laughs> in like in liking Yahweh, but I will wear that T-shirt proudly. <laughs> the Yahweh T-shirt. Uh, how about you, Marilyn? I don't mind this one as much. Um, Again, I feel like this is maybe one of their lullaby songs, even though it's a little more peppy. <laughs> um, I really love the effects they used in the U2 3D movie around the song. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that, that always makes it better for me to think about that when I'm listening to the song. Um, we're actually going to go see that this weekend again. Oh, nice. And uh, for I'm real? really looking forward. Yeah, they're playing in Cleveland? the... Uh, uh, no, it's at their, our science center has a, uh, Omnimax screen, uh, That's awesome. giant, that? yeah. So we're going to go and Very see cool. it on this enormous screen wow. uh, in 3d. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to, to hearing this song, uh, and seeing those beautiful effects they used. So that's uh, anybody the song itself, I think is lovely. near. Pittsburgh, right? If this is that's in a couple of days from now, like Friday or Saturday, it's playing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Nice. Okay. So, so there's six, uh, five showings, I believe. In or near, awesome. or planned to be near Pittsburgh. Uh, you can check that out. Carnegie Science Center. Very cool. Um, I forget where we started on this one. Eric, do you have some? closing comments sure i mean uh so this one yeah I, I do love it in ut3d and like i went and saw that movie the night i proposed to my wife uh so definitely Aww. have strong feelings about it um she's a trooper uh, with my youtube fandom uh but um all spouses are aren't they <laughs> yes right uh but as i was thinking about this song i mean i don't considered fast cars at all the ender i mean this one makes so much sense to me and i was thinking about this and go with me here on this little analogy but basically you know we've dismantled this atomic bomb we've taken it apart and basically like for me this is at the heart of what is in that bomb i mean essentially you know like what you know the atomic bomb you've got this fusion energy inside and like this is the energy that's inside the atomic bomb that's what it's all about 
that you know you can turn it for one you use it for one purpose and create a bomb but they're dismantling the the bomb and this is what's inside this is the power you know it's called yahweh so they're being pretty blunt like this is the power of god as they see it to transform but you know whatever take you see and that might be a part of why some people don't love it is they feel like it's you know too outward you know for those who don't love that side of of you too that might be a part of it but um for me that's uh that's kind of how i see it so i uh, i love it and that that acoustic version is beautiful and those visuals yeah it's been a long time since i've seen that i, I should go revisit come on over <laughs> well check out plane flights right now <laughs> from Ket sacramento totally worth it yeah the acoustic version if you have never heard is worth hearing uh if even especially maybe if you didn't like the album version for whatever reason, like um, I, I will I will say if your problem is hearing Bono repeating Yahweh over and over again in the chorus, then it probably doesn't matter what version you hear, it won't do it for you. But the, right. I love the song too, but the acoustic version definitely sort of. I mean the lyrics, you know, why the dark before the dawn? Yeah, uh, you know, always the pain before a child is born. I mean, like that's just that's yeah. great stuff. Yeah. And then uh, 2009, we go into No Line in the Horizon and Cedars of Lebanon, which has never been played live, and we didn't get it much any feedback on that one directly, as far as a f- top fave or top hate, anyways. We got a, had- we got a, well, we got a ton of tweets about how they hate it, and yeah. I just want to yeah. ask these. I just want to, what are you people thinking? Oh my gosh, Marilyn with the thumbs down. This is one of this is one of the best album closers. They've, and I know Eric put his name up, so I know Eric wants to talk about this. I don't know if it's pro You're or con, but I, I love this song. This song is – see, you, you have to understand that I, the, the, the environment in which I listen to a lot of my music is when the whole family is asleep, the entire house is dark, it's really late at night, like midnight, 1 a.m., and this song comes on, and it is the perfect late night just – atmospheric oh i love this song and i love when he writes in third person like this about or about third you know third party individuals Mm -hmm. i i just i love cedars of lebanon and i you know if people hate it then i'll take off my yahweh t-shirt i'll put on my cedars of lebanon (laughs) t-shirt and baseball cap (laughs) eric which way we're all in anticipation i guess are you uh, oh love it love it yeah definitely pro this song um (laughs) Uh, you know, it's it's so interesting. I mean, as far as like in the modern era of U2, like from 2000 on, this is, I mean, like I'm always hoping their next album is the next Zeropa where they just throw away trying to be relevant and just throw out whatever they can, whatever first comes to them. So this album is the closest to that. And I think it's a great closer to this Middle Eastern feel of an album. And of course, this this encapsulates that, I think, really well. I do also love the storytelling of it. Um, I love you know, this is one where you can see Will I M's, you know, uh, you know, that sort of a hip hop sort of, you know, background, almost rapping, you know, just in those those few little parts. So I like that they're doing something really completely different with the sound. It's very ethereal. Um, my only beef with this song and uh, some of these elementers actually is just that they're not long enough. Like I could this could trail longer oh. for me. This could have another long coda. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, it just sort of ends. It makes sense when it ends. Um but also, as I was listening to this, you know, these out these songs as a chronologically as a playlist, this like it's basically some I, I see it as somebody's life 
Yahweh is somebody passing away, and then like these next few songs are like a ghost singing, and that's this one is like a ghost singing. You know, like it, it, you, the story could be from a from from this guy who's like a ghost kind of reflecting back. So uh, I love it. Love the aesthetic. Thank of you, it. Eric. Thank you for having my back. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn, you had some. Were you, were you on the other side? Of I, I just uh, I generally struggle with this album from beginning to end. Um, it never calls to me uh, to listen to it. It's um, uh, uh, I try to hear what you guys are hearing, and uh, I don't hear it. <laughs> and I, I, this is another story song that's a song ender. So mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate what he was trying to do with it. It just doesn't resonate with me in any way, and nothing on this album uh, resonates very much with me. And uh, I know you're going to fire me, Matt, but that's, that's the way no, I feel. I can't no. lie. <laughs> he can't fire you. Number two? No, he can't do that. <laughs> it is funny to me because there is a, I, I think you're a, you're an Adam fan, Marilyn, and uh, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. And that's a pretty yes. Adam-y, bassy kind of song. Like, if, Can't you just like close your eyes and just imagine Adam in the corner playing this bass line? And just tune out Bono as he's rambling in the corner, but <laughs> can anyone really tune Bono out? Really? I mean, nobody can tune Bono out. And he, he does that on purpose. Yeah. Let's face it. He does it on purpose. So um, there are things about the song that I like. There are things about the song that I like. I do. I do like start. following. I like following the story and, and the sadness in it. You know, it's it's a sad story. This guy misses his family. He's far away. Um, the things I don't like about it, that thing you said about that Middle Eastern feeling, I wish they had done more of that. I, I don't think there's enough of that. You know, they made a big deal about them being in Fez and making this album mm-hmm. over there. And, you know, I thought I really wanted to hear more of that influence and in their and it just wasn't there. So that's one of my um, complaints about it. But um, uh, but I feel that way about the whole album, not just yeah. that song. So I'm not singling it out in any way. It reminds me of, I forget what the name of the album, I think it was maybe An American Prayer, the Jim Morrison poetry album that the Doors as the band kind of just played behind. And like to his poetry I don't know. Everybody has to go through a doors phase at some point, I guess. Right. But like the- <laughs> for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Haven't had mine yet, <laughs> but uh, it's cause I- you're so young, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you're still 12. You've got lots of, you're just a little baby. <laughs> I haven't either. Eric. <laughs> no, I don't. But that idea, I guess I would, what I would love, I would love to, if again, like sort of like Zuropa idea of, of just like, an experimental album that wasn't U2, maybe it's a Passengers thing where it was more just like Bono's writing stuff, the band is doing musical stuff, and they kind of just figure out which stuff goes with which, and it's more spoken word or, or low Bono voice with a bit of like soprano something, and, and just as an experiment, because I could, I could listen to this song, like you guys said, for a long time, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily want a whole U2 album of it, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. All right, let's keep moving. 2014, Songs of Innocence brought us The Troubles, which was played live five times, and last in 2015. And uh, I forget, I've lost track again here. Let's, let's start with Eric. It's Sure. Uh, this one, I mean, when I said before that the song could go on longer, this one especially, like it, it almost, 
it almost ruins a song because it upsets me when I finish it. I'm like this beautiful, <laughs> awesome guitar solo from Edge that he just starts and then it just ends. You know, like I could take another at least 30 seconds to a minute or more of that. I love it. Um, and, I, you know, what you were saying earlier, Marilyn, about how, where's the cue from this album that goes to the next? I mean, this is, you know, this is at the end of the Songs of Innocence. So it's like the loss of innocence reflecting on... Uh, you know, the troubles and that they, that they've experienced. And so, and again, it fits for me, like with this idea of these, that last few songs, the album closer is like from a ghost. It's got this very ghostly feel, you know, that Licky Lee, if that's how you say it, you know, it's, it's one of the few songs that has a guest singer on it. So, you know, kind of that trend with, with uh, Johnny Cash there. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Eric, you, you touched on a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, with the guest vocals with Licky Lee, and she's um, she's just amazing. Um, like you said, it's almost ghostly. Uh, I actually prefer the the version that was on the B the B sides uh, mm. that came out on the extra um, the alternate the alternate version. Yeah, and I I really love this song, and I, I was happy to hear it live. Uh, I think just once I heard it live and uh, I had wished they'd done it more because I thought it was a, I thought it was strong. I, maybe it was the bathroom song during the shows, but I, I, I really enjoyed it um, because I just think it's a, it's a uh, pretty uh, interesting. Um, it's an interesting song. The, uh, the, uh, structure of it and the sound of it and uh the way that it finishes off that album i, I just really like it so i love and i'll just add that i love the line um i have the will i have a will to survive i think that it, i just and the way that it just that whole i when i hear that song that's i just think of that line and the way it's sung and yeah i just it's a it's in the top half for me for sure of enders yeah the the coda or whatever the end where god knows it's not easy taking on the shape of someone else's mm. pain and yeah. now you can see me. I'm naked. I'm not afraid. Right. Even just like thinking of where they were headed as a group uh, that they didn't even know yet where they were going. But uh, yeah, just kind of a, adds a little bit extra intensity as a way of ending the album. So, which leads us yeah. to finally at hour 13 uh, yeah. <laughs> <the> podcast, <laughs> Songs and Experiences uh, 13, which was played obviously uh, every time on the last tour, uh, 28 times total. And last time was 2018 at Jenny Duffy says 13 is, is an easy answer for me. Also love grace. And all I want is you love is blindness and wake up dead man come to mind, but I keep going back to 13. So, um, yeah, for me, it was just, uh, it's a great song, especially the callback to song for someone in it. Um, and that it, it's that they weren't afraid to do that kind of stuff, which obviously we've talked, touched on when we talked about this album as a whole, but, um, any other thoughts on 13, either the live or as the album ender? We'll go around again. We'll start with Eric here. Yeah, I mean, again, this is, you know, one that they had in their show. Obviously, it's it, it's meaningful. It, it's a perfect bookend with the beginning of this album. And, you know, the ghost thing, like this is the letter, you know, songs of experience being these letters. This is like the letter from the grave. Um, you know, like all the final thoughts sort of summarized. Uh, so I think, I, I think it's great. I love the tie in between the two albums. Some people don't love all the ways the two albums tie together, but for me, this is uh, it. Just shows the how the how the band very purposefully views its its how it puts its albums together and its shows together and all that. 
this year, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about 13, but that's kind of how I feel about the whole album for that matter. So yeah, I don't, it's not, I don't dislike it. I don't think it's bad or it, but I've just, I've not been able to get into it. So I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, Marilyn? Um, uh, this is probably my favorite song on this album. And I, because I feel like the, the lyrics from the callback that you talked about, Chris, I think they're used to better effect in this song than they are in song for someone. Um, and my, my son and I were having an interesting conversation about uh, the first song on this album, Love Is All We Have Left, and how that actually sounds like an album ender, and they used it as the first song, but it could have just as easily been the last song. So that's an interesting um, bookend, uh, first and last song that they um, chose for that. Um, for that, do you guys know the uh, the story about uh, the Radiohead song um, "Videotape" that's on "In Rainbows"? No, what's what's the story? It's it's so it's a song about great song. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great song, yeah, and and it's a song about um, this person being at the pearly gates and all his life's. Uh, uh, will be on videotape, right? And um, he wanted to, uh, Tom York wanted to make that the first song on the album. And, you know, mm. the rest of the band said, you're crazy. Nobody's going to listen to the rest of the album. Um, and so they put it at the end of the album and it's perfect for that. And I feel like um, for 13, it could have been at the beginning, it could have been at the end and it, it, you could have switched those two songs around and it would have been perfect either way. Yeah, I agree. I, I could see that. Yeah, it, it is like uh, that's an interesting analogy or comparison or idea. I guess I hadn't thought of like swapping that first and the last song and just sort of seeing how that would sound. Even just like making a quick playlist of of that because they it's been a long time since they've had a opening track that had that kind of. I guess you could say Zeropa maybe uh, was a bit more mellow track, but definitely been a long time since they've had any sort of intro track to an album that had more of a ending song vibe to it. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, <laughs> this is often what happens when we decide we to go it. album by album. They go a little longer. Hopefully you stuck with us. Hopefully this is all recorded. <laughs> be really frustrating <laughs> if it didn't. Uh-oh. Looks like it did. Uh, but uh, any closing thoughts, any ending thoughts for this album Enders podcast? Matt, you, you raised your hand. No, I raised my hand because I only raised my hand because I was getting company at the door. <laughs> You've been beckoned. <laughs> just, just, just waving to family. Are you still Somebody else thinks this podcast? has gone too long. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, are you still podcasting? <laughs> They're checking on you to make sure you're uh, breathing. Yeah, exactly. At my age, that's a, they, they know to check in every time. <laughs> Speaking of vendors, uh, Eric, uh, any, any closing thoughts on your uh, on the not sorry not your idea but the, this idea. yeah no well i i just i i think you know i i encourage if you're really interested in exploring this put them together chronologically and go through because for me it's kind of like the story of someone's life like youth kind of this uh, you know uh hope but then up to like this sort of cynical middle age then you kind of got this what wisdom old age and these last three are like that ghost 
Um, and even if they didn't plan it that way, you know, it's just, uh, uh, like I said before, I think their strong songs are some of my favorites. Um, maybe because they're not played as often because they're hits, you know, they can stand out a little bit more. Um, so I thought it was fun. I, I thought it was great to kind of explore how they approach the structure of their albums from this specific viewpoint. So thanks guys for, for playing yeah. along. Yeah, no, it was a great idea. And, and it does like, I think you said at one point in the show, Eric, of like, you could say like song six or eight or whatever might have less intentionality with what they chose, but the ending song is, I don't know, feels like very obviously they have to choose which one is going to be the last one. You can't sort of hide some stuff, something in there uh, in the middle of a couple other songs. Like it's the first, it'd be interesting to do this again with the first song as well, but, um, and sort of go through the the albums that way um, a little quicker fashion maybe, but (laughs) Um, (laughs) Otherwise, what are you saying, Chris? <laughs> I'm just tired. That's all. Marilyn's got to be the most tired. She's in the most late uh, time. I don't zone. sleep much anyway. It's not a problem. <laughs> uh, if folks want to uh, have some comments that follow up, I guess, or anything, anything like that, uh, where can they find you on the on the Twitter or internets, wherever you want to go? What's we'll go around again, Eric? Starting with you. Sure, at Twitter at Eric Bob G. And Matt. At Matt McGee on Twitter. And Marilyn. I'm at Miss Marilyn on Twitter. And I'm iChris. And uh, you can follow the at U2 crew on Twitter, ATU2, Facebook.com slash ATU2.com. We do see you. I often forget to post over there on uh, on the Facebook's page when we, when we are going live because it would be good to get some of those folks over here if they're so inclined. And then, of course, Instagram.com slash ATU2.com. The, uh, what's coming up is uh, there's a new this next phase, I guess, next leg of the tour is starting up at the end of August here in Berlin. It's a European version of the Experience and Innocence tour. So we'll have a, we're hoping to have a uh, European-focused panel of folks on the show next episode, which uh, should be recording next week as we talk right now. So on the 22nd-ish, 23rd, somewhere in there. And uh, and then we'll see where we go from there. We've got uh, some interesting topics that we're going to be looking into uh, for future episodes. Maybe talking about other bands that people like besides you two, if that's even possible. If that's allowed. What? what? I don't know. That's just what I heard. Uh, and uh, and from go up there. So if you want to send in comments, questions, suggestions for future episodes, uh, topics, you can use the hashtag Ask at you two. On Twitter mainly, we can also, if you reply on Instagram or wherever, whichever one of those is your favorite, we'll try and grab that as well and someone will make me aware because I sometimes lose track of all the networks. Um, if you're still on LiveJournal, we don't have a page there. So we'll, uh, what about MySpace? MySpace maybe, I don't know. Matt probably has one of those somewhere. Let's list all the formats where we are not located. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's uh, let's call an end to our Album Enders podcast. Thank you for listening. You can find this episode at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 86 is the episode number. And that's where any of the links that we talked about will be collected for you to click on. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Bearing with us if you were on the Twitch live stream. And hope you have a great day. Bye. Thanks, all.